We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Starting in verse 2. This is what it says. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. Children have I, have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquities. Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord and they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the tops of your, your heads to the soles of your feet, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up with soft oils. Your country lies in desolate. Your cities burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by evildoers. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a, a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give your ear to the teaching of God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is abomination to me, new moon and Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assemblies any longer. Verse 16 says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the, will, the widow's case. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. So good. Though your sin is like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Father, I pray right now. I pray right now that you would speak to each and every one of us in this place. That, Lord, when we leave this place, we're going to leave changed by your word. When we leave this place, we're going to leave challenged and corrected and understanding that, Lord, you discipline those you love. And I just pray right now that you would bind any works of the enemy in this place and lose your perfect peace and unity here. I pray that right now. We love you, Lord. We bless you. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Give your neighbor a high five. Why don't you tell him this? Don't get exiled. Tell him, say, don't get exiled. Don't get exiled. What's up, CWC? How y'all doing? Are we good? Are we good? We feeling okay today? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I know it is good to be home. Julie and I, though, we had an amazing time. We went to Chicago um, out with the Burning Ones team to, to the last convocation of the year, man. It was the finale, and we felt so honored and blessed to be invited by Mike and Anna and, and their team. And <clears throat> man, it was so good. On Saturday night, I got to share this, man. On Saturday night, I mean, God's presence was so thick all weekend. But Saturday night, man, there was just this 
such a tangible sense. I mean, God's presence was so thick at times I couldn't even breathe in the room. I, I couldn't remain standing on my feet. That's how, that's how thick he was there. I mean, the, the holiness of who God is. And, and it was incredible. It was life transforming. Um, but it was wild. So a guy came up on the stage. He couldn't hear. He hadn't heard for 20 some years. Had no hearing at all. And man, the power of God came in and healed the man on the spot. Boom. Literally healed him right on the spot. And it was just so cool to see. I've witnessed multiple healings that God has done uh, before. But man, it just, it encourages you and builds your faith once again to say, man, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God that healed the lepers, the same God that opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf is the same God that is operating through us today. Do you know Paul says it this way? Paul says, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. Wow. If he can raise, that spirit raises Christ from the dead. How many of you know that God can heal our bodies or heal any disease, heal any situation that we find ourselves in? And so, man, I hope that encourages you today, man, that that no matter what you're facing, that God is greater, that God is greater. Amen. Amen. So look, man, this, this year is rapidly coming to an end quicker than I can keep up with it. Amen. So we've got six weeks left, okay? Six weeks, and I, and I need today, including today, I need it today. Six weeks to get through this year-long series that we've titled The Saga of Salvation, right? Now, obviously, we haven't been able to go through every single story in the scriptures, right? But, but, but I do believe this. I believe that God had, had given us a picture, an outline of where our story of salvation came. And it was funny because we were talking as a staff and just kind of, so there are books out there that I could have bought. You know what I'm saying? I could have bought a book that would have showed me how to break this thing down for 52 weeks, right? <laughs> but instead, I like the hard way. I like to press in on my face and feel so nervous that I'm not going to have a message ready for you. But anyway, I feel like that God really gave us a good picture from, you know, taking us through the different stories that we were able to go, to go through, showing us this amazing story of salvation. Because how many of you know this was God's plan from the beginning? This was God's plan. You know how I know? Scripture says that from the foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain for the sins of the world. Before he created the world, he laid out this salvation plan for us. We are the benefactors of it. Amen. The benefactors. And and it's incredible. But Pastor John did a fantastic job last week, didn't he? Yeah. Wrapping up our our scene titled Prophets and, and Kings. And he talked about Elijah and Elisha. Two of the most prominent and prolific prophets in Scripture. Obviously, I'm not comparing them to Jesus. There's only one like him. There's no one above him, right? So, so don't get all theological on me right now. Like, but he was, he was, they were two of the most prominent and prolific men of God in the Scriptures. And God used them to do so many amazing things. And, I, and it does stink that we weren't able to go through all the different things that God did through them. But, man, let me encourage you. Go read it for yourself. You guys can read. Um, so, and if you can't read, then you can turn on the Bible app and it reads to you. Amen. So praise the Lord. But yeah, go and and read these stories on your own allow God to speak to you uh, through the stories. But anyway, because time is of the essence, right? We've, we've had to jump a few hundred years and a few multiple different stories that I, I hated to jump, uh, for sure. But for the sake of time, we had to to do that because I really want to get through this, this series, 
um, this year-long series, The Saga of Salvation. And I wanted to get to this new scene today titled Exiled. Exiled. Touch your neighbor. Tell him again. Don't get exiled. Tell him. Don't get exiled. Don't get exiled. Yeah. But, but really quickly, I do want to do, do, do something. I want to do a little drive-by of, of one of the stories that we, that we skipped over because I think it's very, very important. And that's the story of King Solomon. Okay, Solomon was, was known as the wisest man ever to be born. And God did all kinds of, of amazing things through Solomon. And one of those things was the building of God's temple. See, before God moved around in a tabernacle that Moses built and did. So he would move, right? There wasn't a stationary place for God's presence to rest. And so he tells Solomon, make sure you build this this temple for me. And the temple is important because it depicts an amazing truth about our salvation. An amazing truth. See, in John chapter 2, what we find is Jesus. And he's explaining something. He says this, if you tear down this temple, in three days I'll raise it right back up. Now, obviously, because we're on this side of salvation, we're on this side of the stories and we can look back and read and, and, and know what Jesus was talking about. We know that he meant his, his body. He was talking about his body being the temple of, of God. And which is important for us to realize because now, because of what Jesus did for us, now each and every one of us are temples of the Holy Spirit. There's no longer just one spot where God resides. There's multiple people that God resides in. See, see, we're no longer a bricks in a building is where God's presence rests. It's in the hearts of men and women, just like you and me. It rests in us. Because of what Jesus has done for us, now you and I are walking, talking presence of God. We carry his presence wherever we, we go. Amen. Amen. And that's a huge part of, of the story, right? And it started way back when God told Solomon, build the temple. He was setting it up for that very, that very thing. This was God's plan at the very beginning was to have the temple be you and me. And here's what I like to say. Here's why God wants to do that. Because a mobile temple is a lot more impactful than a stationary one. Think about this. If you just had to come in here to experience God's presence, you couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't, you couldn't do it outside of here because God's presence resided here. It was, it's just here. See, we don't know what that's like because we have the luxury of going and sitting in our cars and worshiping Jesus to elevation worship and, and, and the Holy Spirit flood the car or whatever, Bethel, whatever. Right? We have the luxury of that. But before Jesus did what he did, the temple was the only place the presence of God resided. The only one. So Jesus did what he did so that we could carry his temple. So let me, let, me, let me encourage you. Be the temple your family needs. Be the temple that your neighbors need. Be the temple that your coworkers need you to be. Amen. You need to be the, the temple. You need to be the temple. So God has Solomon build this temple, Right? Build this temple. And he made Solomon the wisest man ever. But something interesting that I was reading about Solomon and his story. And this is what the Lord spoke to me because I was really confused by it, right? Because I'm reading this and he's the wisest man ever. But he still had incredible weaknesses. And, and what the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me was, is that wisdom doesn't exempt us 
from weakness. Wisdom doesn't exempt. Wisdom isn't the absence of, of weakness. That's why we have CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, right, getting divorced because of their infidelities, because they're weak. They're wise. I mean, I mean, they've been able to monetize, you know, the things they've learned in life and in business, and they're able to monetize those things, and they're, and they're super wise in that, and they're wealthy and, and, and successful. But because wisdom isn't the absence of weakness, we find them in a broken home because of the way they, how weak they were, and they gave in to their, their weakness. See, Scripture says this. Scripture says that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. See, I think a lot of times we think if we just get smarter, if we get wiser, then we won't make the mistakes that we're making. Although sometimes that, that could be true. But for the most part, wisdom doesn't make you, you strong. It's the spirit of God that strengthens your weakness. Without his spirit, we will remain weak. Amen. Because we are weak and he is, he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Praise God. We are, we are weak, but he is, is strong. Without his, his spirit, our, our flesh will, will continue to be weak. See, our flesh, it wants what, what looks good. It, it wants what might smell good. It, our flesh wants what we think seems good. It, it looks fun. It, it seems good. I want that thing. I want that. That's what the flesh does. But that's why Jesus said this. He said this to the disciples in Matthew chapter 26. He says, watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Spirit's willing, but your flesh is, is weak. So watch and pray. He's saying this. Continue to pursue me. Continue to keep your eyes on me. Continue to look for me. So that then my spirit will reside in you and strengthen you in those, those weaknesses. Scripture says that his spirit will strengthen even our mortal bodies to live for him. Amen. To live according to his commandments. His spirit strengthens our flesh in that, in that way that we can live according to his commandments. It's incredible. But wisdom is not the absence of weakness. The spirit of God is the essence of strength. Understanding that we need to lay on our face and lay everything at his feet. Lay everything at his feet. Solomon was a, was a really wise man. But his weakness was women. He had a weakness, and the weakness was, was women. And because he didn't allow the, the Spirit of God to strengthen his weakness, he found himself in all types of sinful relationships. See, see, God told Solomon, he said, listen, don't marry anyone who doesn't love me. Don't get involved with someone who, who doesn't serve Serve me. Don't, don't be unequally yoked is what, the, is what God wanted from Solomon. Because if you, if you do that, you will be led astray. And then will result in my people being led astray. Because remember, he's the king and the people followed the king. And if the king gets led astray, the people become led astray. But the wisest man ever born, the wisest man, wasn't strong enough or smart enough to stay away from women who doesn't love Love God. And because of this disobedience that he, he did, these women brought in foreign gods, the worship of foreign gods. 
which then led the people of God to start worshiping these foreign gods, which then led to generations upon generations upon generations of sinful deeds and acts. Listen to me, single people. That's why you hear me say all the time. If they don't love God and they don't love Jesus, don't date them, don't look at them, don't don't love them. (laughs) Don't fall in love with someone who doesn't love, love God. I see this happen quite often, right? People fall for people who, who, who don't love Jesus and they become unequal. And the whole time they think this, they have good intentions, by the way, most of them. I think I'm gonna lead them to Christ. But actually the opposite ends up happening most of the time, overwhelming majority of the time. The opposite, just like King Solomon. The opposite happens. They lead them away from Jesus. They find themselves being led astray, away from the Lord. So this is why we are not to be unequally yoked. If the wisest man ever fell for it, we got to make sure that we're guarding against these these weaknesses by allowing the Spirit of God to strengthen us in those those parts. And then the people that I've I've seen, you know, fall into this, what happens is is their kids as kids as kids. Generations upon generations now are affected by that one weakness, by that one decision. And that's what we see happen in the life of, of Solomon. Generations upon generations are affected by his sin, by his weakness. And after he dies, it doesn't die with him. That's the bad thing. It didn't die with him. It continued on, on into the next generations behind him. They continued to worship foreign gods. They, they continued to do that. And because of that, the nation ends up becoming divided. So instead of having one nation under God, now they have two nations that are disobedient to God, both of them. They're no longer one nation. They're, they're two separate nations, which, which sounds a lot like the culture we live in today, doesn't it? We're one nation divided into two parties. And we can't even talk about it, have a reasonable conversation any longer about why we agree with what. And here's the scary part about being a divided nation, because eventually it will be a defeated nation. Because a house divided cannot stand. It cannot. Listen, I pray for my country. I love my country. I I do. However, this is not my home. The kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Not that we don't pray for our nation. We do. Our president, all those things. Absolutely. But we're a part of, of the kingdom. Amen. Amen. But this is why we don't have to get fearful of what's happening. In our, in our culture. But these people are divided, right? They're, they're, they're divided. And they, they turn into two separate nations. It's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern tribe and the southern tribe. You got Israel's in the north and Judah in the, in the south. And there's all this disunity. Which, Listen, we see this in our country, but we also see this in the church, this division, this disunity in the church. And do you know why there's such disunity in the church? Because there's no humility. See, without humility, we cannot have unity. It's impossible. Pride causes divisions amongst the church. Because after all, what I said is right, what you said is wrong. I'm just saying. like The way I say to worship, the way I say to pray, the way I say to do... That's the right way. And if you don't do it the way that I'm saying we do it, ah, we can't be together. We got, we, got, we got to divide. We got to divide. And then we got to have people pick sides, right? Like, I believe in this. What do you believe in? And this is what we see happen. So it's not only happened in the country, it's happened in the churches in our country. See, we got to fight against disunity. We got to fight against division. 
And when differences do come up, and I say, and when they do, not if, but when, because it's going to happen. We're not always going to see eye to eye on every little decision that we, that we make. It's just not going to happen. Every opinion is not going to, to line up perfectly with one another. And so when they do arise, we seek one another out in humility. We don't call one another out. Come on, somebody. Like, well, I'm just letting them know. You know what I mean? Like, no, we seek one another out in humility to work through what is trying to cause disunity. Paul says this, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Making every effort. Making every effort. Yeah, but you don't know what they did, Pastor. You don't know what they said to me. They, you have no idea. And because they did all these things to me, then they can't be hearing from God. They definitely aren't living for God. So, so why would I be around them? They, what they're doing is not the right thing to be doing. So I got I to gotta separate from them. See, Paul says, make every effort. Make every effort. See, there's at times we're going to have to apologize when we don't feel we're wrong. I would say us men are pretty good at that by now. Amen. I know I am. Okay. I, I'm always right. Okay. And I got to apologize. You know what I mean? So that's definitely not true. But I like to think so, Bob. So, but there's times, right? There are times when, when we will have to go and say, hey, for the sake of unity, say, hey, look, my bad, I didn't mean it to be this way or whatever, right? This is because we gotta make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Where there is no unity, there is no humility. There's, there's only pride. And here's the thing that I found about unity. Unity provokes the power and the authority of God. It provokes it. It provokes it. Here's why I say it. Because God exalts the humble. And when God exalts us, his power flows through us. And by being humble, by having humility, it will create unity. And so with unity comes the authority of God. This is why we got to fight to make sure that we, we remain in unity, making every effort, every effort. But, but the nation of Israel, right, they're divided into two, two separate nations, northern and southern, Israel and Judah. And again, because a divided house, a house divided cannot stand, they start to experience all of this hardship and all these pains and all these defeats and they become very, very depleted. And after many years of this disobedience, many years of this division, the people of God find themselves exiled. They're exiled. And this is plural, by the way. There's there's multiple exiles that takes place. There's multiple exiles in scripture. We only like to think of a couple of them. Most prominent ones is the Egypt and Babylonian exile. But there's multiple exiles. Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden. They were exiled. You, you, you gotta go. This was your promise, but now you're outside of your promise. See, there's multiple exiles that happens with God's people. But the one that we talked about was the exile to Exodus in Egypt, right? Now, now that exile was different from this exile. See, see, that exile had nothing to do with the wrong that they committed. It wasn't their sin that brought about that exile. If you remember, the scripture says, what a Pharaoh came to power who didn't know Joseph or Israel or the good they'd done. And so they enslaved them. So it had nothing to do with the sins they committed. But this exile that they are going through now is because of what they've done. 
is a, it's a direct result of their, their sins. All these bad things are happening to them because they, they've sinned against God and rebelled against God. And, and the prophet Isaiah is writing this book with this incredible insight of why these things are happening to them and how these things will continue to happen to them if they don't change the way they live. And so he spends this an enormous amount of time, right? Either writing a warning to the people of God, warning them like, hey, this is why this is happening, right? This is why it is to come or, or he's instructing them on how to get through what they're currently going through, right? Spends an enormous amount of time doing that. And in chapter one, right, starting in verse two, Isaiah is preaching a sermon of warnings. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a warning. He's saying, if you don't change the way you live, if you don't change the way you, way you live, and, and it's, it's wild because when I'm reading this, I'm seeing that like Isaiah is like this prosecuting attorney and this detective all at the same time. He, he's both wrapped into, into one. It's kind of like Jessica Fletcher and some murder she wrote. Come on, somebody. Like, how many know what I'm talking about? The young kids are looking at me like I'm crazy, right? Anyway, it's like all wrapped into one, man. He's, he's, he's all of that. And what he's trying to do is, is to get them to recognize the perpetrators, get them to recognize the things that they are doing wrong so that they'll change what they're doing so that they don't continue to go through such defeats and such hardships, right? He's going, if you don't change, not only are you gonna go through this, but, but you're gonna go through much, much more. He's, he's actually forewarning them of the trouble to come, warning them that if, if their ways don't change, their future is going to be the same as their present. Hard, hard times. And in Isaiah chapter one, verse two, Isaiah begins to, to lay this case out begins to lay it out for him. And he calls his, his witnesses forth. See, he's making this appeal to his audience, but he, but he calls his witnesses was forth. And, and, and the witnesses that he's calling forth is heaven and earth. He's calling the heavens and the earth to, to witness this. And, and, I, and, I, and I find this to be so amazing about God's words, right? Like, not only was when they were writing it, did it impact the people who were reading it, not only when it was penned, but now 2,700 years later, we can pick it up and still glean from an impactful warning from the Lord of us living according to his righteousness and not according to our, our flesh. But see, he opens this letter up with this word, hear, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Some of you picked that up. It's probably not a good reference from the pulpit either, but I can re I'll repent. Lord, forgive me. But it reminds me, right, when he says, here, listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. Listen to what I'm about to say. I'm reminded of what Jesus said. Jesus says this. He says, man, those of you who have ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Listen to what I'm about to tell you because it's very, very important. Isaiah saying the same thing. Don't tune me out. Don't plug your ears. Don't be like a child. Like, la, 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 la. if I don't see no evil here, there must not be no evil. Like, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what the Spirit is trying to reveal. So he says, he says, hear. Hear me. 
And I love that the witnesses are the heavens and the earth. See, there's no whistleblower in this report. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there ain't none of that. There's no hearsay. There's no, well, she said that and he said this, so it must be somewhere in the middle there. No, no, there's none of that. There's no misconceptions. There's no miscommunications that is taking place. And he's making sure of it. He's saying, listen to me, the heavens and the earth will bear witness to what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say. Trying to reveal the importance of what he's about to say. And then he begins to lay out his case. He begins to lay it out. And, and he does so by first telling them of who they are in relationship to the one that is bringing the charges against them. That's what he does. So he says, children, I have reared you and I have brought you up, but you have rebelled against me. In other words, right? He's like, why, why have you done this against me? Why are you rebelling against me? Why are you living in sin? Don't you realize that I'm the one that's provided for you? I'm the one that's taking care of you. I'm the one that delivered you out of, the, out of, out of Egypt. I'm the one that is, has made you blessed among all the nations. I made you great. I did, but yet you repay me. This is what God is saying. But you repay me with being disobedient to me. Your, your sin is leading to, to all this division and destruction that you are experiencing in your life. See, the people at the time of Isaiah that he's penning this early, early stuff in the early chapters, they are in the midst of an exile, and it's not the Babylonian exile, it's the Assyrian exile. It's right before the, the Babylonian exile. It's before it. This is why we call the, the scene exiled, because there, there's multiple ones. But the people of God have rebelled against God for many, many years. They've just remained in their sin against him. And so now they are being Exiled, which means they are being removed from their promise. They're being removed from their promise because of the way that they are living. See, remember, their promise was a land, right? It was a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is what I will give you if you live for me. Well, now, because of their disobedience and their sin, they get removed from their promise. This is the consequences of, of sin. This is how severe of a consequence that sin brings. In verse 3 and 4, right, it goes on. Listen to what it says. It says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord and they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly, utterly estranged. Do, do you know what he's saying right here? It's actually really simple when you, you hear what I tell you. This is what he's saying. Even these dumb animals, this is what he's revealing. Even these dumb animals, these, these animals that can't really think, that, that have very minimal problem-solving skills, the, these animals that don't think for themselves, they can't talk, they can't do any of that. Even they... At times they're stubborn. At times they don't possess the skills that I need them to possess to do the job that I bought them to do. At times they do. But even they, these dumb animals know that they have to, they have to maintain some level of obedience in order for their owner to take care of them. In order for their owner to feed them and, and, and put a shelter over them, they've got to obey them at times. They have to or they won't get to eat and they won't get to go into the pens. Even they know that, but my, my people, my people don't know it. See, Isaiah is trying to make this really, really simple for them to see so that there's zero mis 
conceptions. There's no miscommunication. These, these animals understand, but the people of God are not understanding. They're, they're not remembering how I have provided for all their needs according to my riches and glory. And the only thing that I ask in return of them is to give their lives to me. That's it. I just need them to obey me and I will, I'll take care of the rest. They just can't serve other gods and worship other idols. Then he goes on into verse five through nine, right? And he begins to lament over the condition of God's people. He's, he's lamenting. And this is what he says. He says, why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Why will you keep doing it? You're doing it now. Why are you continuing to do it? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of your foot, even to the, to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores. What do you really think, Isaiah? And raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bandaged up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are, are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate, as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is like a, a booth in a vineyard. It is like a lodge in a cucumber field. It's all, they're all by themselves. You see, when we, when we live in sin, right, we separate ourselves from God. When we continue to live in sin, we, we just continue to push God further and further away from us. This is what he's saying. They're separating themselves. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Isaiah trying to reveal the reason that they're going through what they're, what they're going through. All this hurt, all this pain they're experiencing is because of their sin. See, sometimes when we find ourselves in really difficult seasons of life, we really need to evaluate what is happening in our lives. How, how are we living our lives for God? How are we displaying his, his light to the world? How are we living? If we're going through a bunch of hard things, man, we need to evaluate. I'm not saying that every single hard thing you come up against is a result of bad behavior because sometimes the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and you can be doing really well, but the enemy comes to steal that. But it's always good to, to, take, a, to take your own temperature. What am I doing in my life? Search my heart, God. Search my heart because the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who should know it? So I need you to reveal it to me, God. The reality is, Scripture says, we reap what we sow. Matter of fact, Jesus says it this way. The evil man will reap the evil that is sowed in his heart. He'll reap the evil, but the good man will reap the good that is treasured and stored in his heart. See, see, we need to be a people who are constantly evaluating how we're living our lives for Jesus. And when we find things that are outside of his plan for our lives, it's in those times that we hit our knees and we repent and we move on because he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness at any time if we simply ask. But Isaiah, this is what he's dealing with with these people. He's, he's trying to get them to repent. Saying, you're going through all this stuff because of the sins you've committed. But at the same time, he's also saying, he's saying this. He's saying, you're going to continue to go through these things if you don't change your ways. If, if you don't change how you're living, you're going to continue to go through. This is not the only exile. This is not the only thing that's going to remove you from the promise. There's going to be another if you don't change how you're living. If you don't repent and turn from your sin, it'll happen again. And it's so sad because I run into people in, in life and They'll come in to talk to me and they're, they're really beat up in life. And 
It's really, really sad. And, and I'll tell them, here, you need to do dot, 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 dot to help change the, the, the trajectory of your life. Right? I see the path that you're on. And, and if you don't change your ways, you're going to end up in jail. You're going to end up dead. or you're gonna, If you don't change the way you're living. But man, so often I see people, they're not willing to leave hell to get to heaven. They're not willing to do it. They're not willing to stop doing what they're doing in order to live for Christ and repent of what they've been doing. And this is the type of behavior that Isaiah is dealing with in chapter one. They just, they won't quit. And so what he does is, is he illustrates it with a story that these people knew all too well, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we didn't have time to go through that. We didn't have a scene. We didn't have time to, to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. But the reality is that, that, that those two cities were completely destroyed because of the sins of the city, because of the sins of the people. Not one escaped the wrath of God, scripture says, not one. And he says to, to them, he's trying to depict this for them because they knew Sodom and Gomorrah really well. And he's saying, look, the only thing that separates us from them being completely destroyed is God's grace because he left a few of us to survive so that we could have the opportunity to change and repent on how we are living. God could have destroyed us. He could have, should have probably destroyed us. This is what he's saying. But he, but he didn't. And see, the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter six, it says, he says this, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. This is how severe the punishment is for sin. And listen to me, I know that this is not a popular subject to preach on. I promise you, I haven't asked the Lord to say, I don't, I don't wanna do this message, God. Give me something fun to preach. I was gone last week. Let me come back and love on the people. Like, let, me, let me do something fun. But the reality is, here's the reality. God spoke this to me very clearly a couple years ago. He says, if you don't talk about sin, it's easier to fall into it. If you're not acknowledging sin exists, then it's easier to live in it and be deceived by it. So we gotta talk about it. We gotta see what scripture says about it because sin is crouching at our doors, waiting for the opportunity to pounce crouching at our doors. Set aside and resist all the sin that so easily besets you, right? The, the sin is crouching at our doors. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was tempted by the, by the enemy, okay? This is what it says, because it never leaves. It says this, Jesus wins, right? He doesn't, he's, he's not tempted. He, he defeats the enemy in that moment. But scripture says that he leaves so that he can find another more opportune time to come back and do it again. See, sin never just stops because we get victory one day. It continues to try to, to get us. And this is why we can't let our guard down. We gotta keep our guard up. The enemy is banking on us <laughs> to let our guards down. Banking on us to start to think that our wisdom will navigate us through life. So many people do that. And it's so sad because it's the spirit of God that will navigate you through life, not your wisdom. Not your wisdom. The enemy's banking on us to let our guard down. Listen, wisdom is not the absence of weakness. It's not the absence. And this is when we need to press in to God and understand that sin is trying to, to come at us. And we walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh so that the sin can't have any, any hold on us. So it can't have a hold, any hold on us. Because if we live in sin, the reality is, if we live in sin, we will find ourselves in the same situation that the Israelites find themselves in, in these exiles removed from the promises that God designed for us, that God desires for us to have. 
But all he's saying is, yeah, but you gotta live for me. You, you've gotta obey, obey me. If you live for me, if you keep my commandments, if you do that, life will go well with you. That's, that's what the word of God says. We've gotta make sure that we're, we're pursuing because if not, we'll find ourselves defeated and depleted and the enemy would love nothing more than that to get us exiled from the promises that God has for us. It goes on in Galatians chapter five, right? Because it's important to know what sin is. It's really important to know what sin is. You can talk about sin in a very vague way, but to hone it in and say, no, this is what it is. And it, and it talks about how the works of the flesh is evident. And look what it says it is. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and anything that looks like these. Anything that would lead you to do any of these. Any, anything like that is sin. And he says, and I warn you as I warned you before, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not walk in the promises of God. They just won't. This is what the word of God says. That if we live this way, we will be exiled from the promises. And that's where Israel is at this point in time in their life. Living in sin, not refraining from it, not despising it, but just giving in to it. Just saying, ah, I'll just live however I want. No regard for, for the commandments of God. And the punishment is they are exiled. They're exiled. In verse 10 through 17, okay. Verses 10 through 17. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time because I'm going to wrap this up. But this is what it says. Basically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase it for you. It says, stop coming and playing church. This is what it's saying. Stop coming and playing church. Stop it. Stop bringing me worship on Sunday, but you're not living for me on Monday. Stop that. I, I, I don't want the fake assemblies anymore, the fake worship services. Don't do that. The book of James says it like this. Don't be hearers of the word only, but doers. Don't be hearers only. Don't come and just listen, but rather live it in your everyday life so that you don't deceive your, yourselves. That's what the, the word of God tells us. See, we gotta be a people who, who seek him every day of the week, not just Sundays, although I love Sundays with you guys, by the way. I'm sure you're not loving this right now, but that's okay. God bless you. It's important for us to hear this stuff, for real. It's important to know. I don't know about you. I don't wanna walk around deceived. I don't want to walk around thinking everything is okay, but I got stuff in my life that isn't okay. I don't want to do that. You got to be a people who strive to be with him every day, day in and day out. A people who despise our sin and, and resist it because if we resist the enemy, what? He has to flee. He has to go. He, he can't remain any longer. You got to be a people who, who declare, who declare for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord all the day long. Amen. Amen. We, we can't afford to play church because the enemy ain't playing with you. We can't afford to play because he's not playing. He's trying to take our families. He's trying to take, our, trying to take everything from us. So we can't play. We got to get serious and go after Jesus with everything that is within us. 
Now, I love though how in verse 18 and 19, Isaiah shifts it. He shifts all this. He's, he's laying this case out, right? His case out before them, the things that they've all done wrong, the things they need to stop doing wrong and repent. He's laying this thing out. And I love how he, how he shifts because this is the heart of God right here. This is the heart of God. Come now, let us reason together. I love that. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So good. Come, let us reason together. What the Lord is saying here is, come son, come daughter. Come, come to me. You, you don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to do this in your strength. You do this according to my spirit. Come, come, let's reason together. It's not by power nor by might, but it's by my spirit, declares, declares the Lord. That's reason. I love it. I love it. Let me remind you of how good I am towards you. Let me, let me remind you of the love that I've always demonstrated to you. Let me remind you of the grace that is brand new every single morning. Let me remind you of that. Come, let us reason together. God's saying, yeah, your sin is great, but my love is greater. Your sin is dark, but my grace will lead you to light. This is what he's saying. The things you've done against me may have resulted in an exile from your promises. But the moment you repent, do you know scripture says this, that love keeps no tally of wrongdoings? That's so good. I try to preach that to my wife, you know what I'm saying? Like, baby, you know what I mean? Like, you shouldn't be keeping no tally of what I just did wrong, you know what I mean? Like, be Jesus, Julie, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but he keeps no tally of wrongdoings, man, none. And so all the things that I've done in my life, God is not adding them up on a chart. He's not saying, uh, Keith, you did it again. The moment I repent and say, Father, forgive me, it is white as snow. It's like I've never sinned in my entire life because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how awesome he is. Come, let us reason together. Why don't you understand this, that I'm with you, that I love you, that I always, always take care of you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You just don't leave me. We can't outrun the love of God. Nothing can separate us from it. All we have to do is press in. In seasons that we find ourselves in sin, repent. Lord, forgive me. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be called the righteousness of God. So when we find ourselves in those seasons, man, we, Father, forgive us. And we keep moving forward. Paul says it this way. Forget what lies behind you. And press toward the high calling you have in Christ heavenward. He said, where sin abounds, guess what? Grace abounds all the more. Grace abounds all the more where sin abounds. It's incredible. This is the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. And if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Come on, stand to your feet, please. Here's the thing. <clears throat> Here's the thing about sin. If you don't know how horrible sin is, you'll never realize how great God's grace is. 
you'll never realize that. If you don't understand that you were lost, you were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. But because of what Jesus did, now I am free. I am alive. I'm gonna be in heaven with him forevermore. If I, if I don't realize just how dead I was, then I don't realize how alive I am. This is why it's so important to talk about sin and the wages of sin is death so that you understand how the grace of God has pulled you out of all of it. And he continues to shower his love upon you. Let me pray with you really quickly. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, and I pray every single heart here would be open to hear exactly what you're trying to speak to them. Reveal to each and every one of us, God, the areas in our lives we need to repent of. So that, Lord, there's nothing in us that would separate us from you. That would, that would cause us to be exiled from the things you have for us. Father, we want you and everything that you have for us. And I pray right now that you would reveal all of that to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said.